0: Frontier Missions Journal, stories of hope for the unreached, with Adventist Frontier Missions. As I stepped into the bedroom, I froze in my tracks. The window was gaping wide open, the mosquito net was pulled down onto the bed. Our computer case was lying open on the mosquito net and both computers were missing. My heart almost stopped. We had been robbed. My name is Daniel Greenfield and I work with Adventist Frontier Missions. My wife, Kara, and I have been working in Guinea, West Africa we started off there, and then we moved to Cambodia. God has been blessing and guiding every step of the way. There's another story that I wanted to share with you from our time in, in Guinea, West Africa. Our, our lives are like people are, are viewing us under a microscope, and they watch everything that we do. And it's interesting how God takes the time Our lives and our day when we surrender that to him and he can just do amazing things with it and so I want to share with you now the story called The Robbery it was Sabbath afternoon and we had just arrived home from church the rest of the Susu team had gone over to a members house for lunch we had been invited but Andrew had been sick and we were trying to keep him on a regulated diet. We told them that we would run home and feed him and then come over. Fortunately, we had just received the funds to purchase a motorcycle. It was nice to be able to make it home for lunch in 10 minutes instead of an hour's walk in the hot sun. As we walked into our dimly lit living room, Kara went into the kitchen to prepare food while I changed Andrew's diaper. After getting the little squeaker cleaned up, I headed for the bedroom to dispose of the remains. As I stepped into the bedroom, I froze in my tracks. The window was gaping wide open. The mosquito net was pulled down onto the bed. Our computer case was lying open on the mosquito net and both computers were missing. My heart almost stopped. We had been robbed. I shouted for Kara as mixed emotions ran through me. I felt sick to my stomach. Kara and I surveyed our bedroom in shock as our curtains gently blew in the wind. We need to call Mark Coleman, Kara said. Let's pray first, I responded. We held each other and prayed. So many thoughts went running through our heads. As we looked around, Kara realized there were many things that the thieves should have taken but didn't. None of our money was missing. Maybe our arrival had scared them off. They had only looted our bedroom and Andrew's. They had stolen both of our computers, our scanner, printer, all of our camera equipment, Kara's flute, my hair clippers, two flashlights, some small change, and Andrew's changing mat. Kara told me to go look outside the courtyard and in the vacant houses around the courtyard. Sometimes these will hide out nearby or stash the things they've stolen if they have been interrupted. I quickly went out looking and Kara began trying to contact our teammates. She had quite a bit of difficulty at first as many people had not turned their cell phones back on after church and part of the network was down. She was finally able to talk with Mark and Uncle George. Uncle George lives close by. He had been feeling sick that day and had not gone to church. He came over and helped me scout the neighborhood. Kara also called our day guard who lives in our courtyard. She asked him what time he had left that morning to eat. He said he had left at 11. We had returned from church at about 12.45, so the thieves had not had much time in our house. We were sure we had scared them away when we came home. Soon Mark, Uncle Joshua, and Uncle Fred arrived. They came in and surveyed the damage. They talked for a few minutes about what would be the best thing to do. We knew we should contact the police, but we were a little hesitant. If a local person is living in the courtyard of a foreigner and the foreigner's house is broken into, the police will customarily beat the local person, assuming they know something or were in on the crime. Our guard had worked for the Coleman's for seven years and we had full confidence that he wasn't part of the robbery. We decided to contact the police and also make it clear that they should leave our guard alone. We didn't expect a whole lot out of the police, but if our stuff showed up, We would need proof that it had been stolen. We also put word out in town so the guys who deal in electronics would know our stuff if someone tried to pawn it off. We split up and went around asking the neighbors what they knew. It had happened in broad daylight. Surely someone had seen something. But no one admitted to seeing anything. We suspected the robbers had paid at least one of them to look the other way. We were at a loss. Soon the police came and filed a report and everyone else left. Kara and I sat down exhausted. We were devastated. Someone had forcefully entered our bedroom, violating our place of sanctuary, and stolen things that were very valuable to us and our work. It was not a good feeling. The police came back later that day. They told us that they would need money for fuel so they could go out and look for the thieves in the surrounding villages. Uncle Joshua advised us to give them the money. We really wanted our stuff back, and this was the only way to get their help. After sundown, Uncle Joshua returned and welded the broken bars back in place on our bedroom window. The window had been jimmied too, but we were able to get it to slide closed. It would have to do until morning. Late that night, we were able to contact Lawrence Johnson, our field director. It was good to hear his voice and talk to him. Then we went to bed, tired and with heavy hearts from all the activity of the day. As Kara cried, I struggled with free feelings of anger at those who had hurt my family. I didn't know whom to trust and who was lying. We didn't understand why all this was happening. Was culture shock not enough for us to deal with right now? Did God think we could handle this too? Sunday came and went and we were beginning to wonder if the police had just taken our money and would tell us that they couldn't find the thieves. We were pretty sure our things were gone for good. Back at the AFM home office on Monday morning, the staff heard the news. AFM has a special prayer room set aside for a daily time of prayer. Staff members are also welcome to come and pray for things anytime throughout the day. Monday morning, Lawrence went to the prayer room to pray for us and our situation. He recalled how, only a month before, how the bodies were robbed and the Lord miraculously recovered their belongings. As he lifted us up, he wondered whether the Lord would work mightily a second time but he prayed that the Lord would return our things to us as he did for the bodies and glorify his name through the situation. On Monday afternoon, which was Monday morning at the home office, about the time Lawrence was praying, there was a knock at our gate. It was the chief of police. He told me that they had found the thieves and wanted me to come and identify some things. I contacted Mark and told him to meet me at the police station. I also took our day guard with me who knows the local language very well. As I got the motorcycle ready, I asked Kara to pray for us. As we pulled out of the courtyard, the police chief was already up the hill out of sight. I revved the motorcycle and hurried to catch up. I was again thankful the Lord had provided transportation for us only the week before. As we walked into the dimly lit police station, I saw our laptop computer sitting on a bench beside the chief of police. Praise the Lord! This was especially exciting to us because our laptop had many important documents on it. If none of the other items were found, we would have been happy just to get this one thing back. I learned that the police in a major crossroads town about 45 minutes away had been notified of the theft. They began checking vehicles for our stuff. One police officer saw a young man who was a known criminal. He was in a taxi headed for another large town. The officer checked the young man's bag and found our laptop. Of all the people and bags passing through the town that day, he chose to check that bag. Coincidence? I think not. God had his hand in this situation. After I had identified the computer, the police brought in the young man who had been found with it. Despite his handcuffs, he still looked pretty cocky. They sat him in a wooden chair, and the police chief asked him his name. The boy started to smart off to the police chief. The chief got stern with him, and asked him several more times what his name was. Each time, the boy wouldn't give his name. Then the police chief said something to the other officers in the room. Three of them moved in. They proceeded to hit the young man in the chest and on the side of his head. I was very uncomfortable at this turn of events, but I knew this was how things were done in Guinea. After a few minutes of this treatment, the young man finally stood up and started to talk. He told the police chief his name and the names of the others involved in the robbery. After the officers put the young man in a cell next door, the police chief started to lay plans for arresting the other thieves. He told me he wanted to keep our laptop at the station until the other things were found. We returned home and awaited further news. Later that afternoon, Mark received a call from the Chief of Police. They had found more of our possessions. We made our way back to the police station and found three more young men in custody and almost all of our stuff. The only things still missing were our video camera, a flashlight, a camera battery, and Andrew's diaper-changing mat. These were with the ringleader whom they were unable to catch. The thieves were all students. The youngest was maybe in eighth grade. The police are still looking for the ringleader. People have reported seeing him in Conakry. It was sad for us to find out that he had attended our church in the past and had known the Colemans for a long time. The boys are still in the local jail. The parents have tried to pay the police to let them go, but so far the police have not accepted the bribes. We don't know how long they will be there, but we pray the police will do what they should. This whole experience was challenging for our family. However, looking back on it, I can certainly see the Lord's blessing. When Mark told one of his guards, a devout Muslim, that we had gotten almost all of our things back, the guard's mouth fell open. Wow! Your God is with you, he said. In West Africa, stolen things are almost never recovered. It had clearly been a miraculous display of God's power. Others in the community have commented about how God answered our prayers. As difficult as it had been, I'm glad to see that the Lord has allowed these events to become a shining light in the community. Again, we have seen the great controversy played out as Satan clearly aimed to discourage us and drive us from his territory. Please continue to pray for the missionaries in West Africa, as life there is very challenging. Pray that the Lord will give them courage and strength for the attacks of the devil. A few months after this story took place, the Greenfields were in the States, seeking medical attention for their son Andrew. While here, they discovered there was more to their story about the break-in, and how God's providence was still at work. Guess who showed up at my house this morning?" said Uncle Fred. Who? I replied. The thief. He came to apologize for what he did. I could hardly believe it. This was the young man who had organized the burglary of our house. Only a few weeks before, Mark, George, and Joshua had found the young man and had him arrested. At the station, the police took off the boy's clothes and put him in a jail cell. As the boy undressed, they noticed protection charms on his body. They were from the Karamoko, the equivalent of a witch doctor. One charm around his arm was supposed to tighten to warn him when he was in danger so he could escape. It had obviously failed. About a week after his arrest, we heard that there had been a jailbreak and all the inmates had escaped. I was worried, but what could I do? Mark called a meeting with the men in the church. We decided to turn things over to God and let him deal with this problem. Now Fred was telling me that the young man had come to his door earlier that day and apologized for what he had done. At first I was suspicious. Then I began to realize that this was God's doing. Fred went on to tell me that the young man had said that our God was powerful. Ever since the jailbreak, he had been praying a lot and had just now gotten up the courage to come and apologize to Fred. Fred told him that he needed to apologize to Mark, Kara, me and the rest of the Susu team members, but the young man, he said he wasn't ready for that yet. Please pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to work in the heart of this young man to turn his life around and make him a testimony to the power of our God for the people of this community. Thank you.